0: just looking at a few uh, verses, a few powerful piercing verses and uh, words from the Lord Jesus. So uh, this is God's word to you because uh, you are his people. Starting in verse 18, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge of your word. We thank you that you say so many odd things that we would not have expected you to say and yet when we set our hearts to them we find that clearly you know us uh, so much more deeply than we know ourselves and you shed light into the dark places of our souls that you might bring grace and life and joy. So I pray as we uh, study your word as we commit our minds and our hearts uh, to, to listen to the words you have to say to us would your spirit attend to us and I pray for those who are sitting here that you'd uh, take my, uh, my words, the, the words of a sinner, the words of a fallen man, and that you would uh, apply them into the hearts of those who sit here. You know their lives. You know the comfort and the needs that they have and the things they need to hear. So, Lord, uh, speak to your people now. We ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, um, as we uh, continue studying through Matthew... Uh, the reason that uh, we, I decided that we were going to look at the Gospel of Matthew is last year, uh, before we started Matthew, I was kind of praying through, Lord, what should we be talking about as a church? And um, we, you know, our church has a little mission statement that actually I, I use quite a lot, and some of you may know the mission statement, most of you probably don't. The mission statement of our church is that the mission of Christ Church Bellingham is to proclaim the excellencies of God. So we're, our goal as a congregation is to make... God's grace, his character, who he is, what he's done in Christ, known in Bellingham and from there throughout the world through worship, disciple making, deeds of love, and church planting. And so I was thinking about this mission statement, and there's this second word in there in the four things that we do of making disciples. And I was thinking about how do you make disciples? How do we as a church become disciples, followers of Jesus? How does that happen? How does that transformation happen? And of course, if you're uh, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you know that the closing verses of this Gospel, Jesus uh, gives says the most famous words about making disciples, where he says, "Go therefore, and uh, making uh, and make disciples of all the nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded." teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. He says, okay, so how do you make disciples? Well, you, you baptize people, and then you teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. I was reading that. I said, okay, that's what I need to do. Teach them to obey. Now, what is Jesus commanded? Where are the commands of Jesus? Well, it turns out that the Gospel of Matthew, what we're going to be studying, is, uh, is structured around five discourses, five sermons that Jesus gives during his ministry. And... Uh, and last, uh, last year we looked at the first of those discourses, which is probably the mo- most famous, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this year we're going to look at the next two, which one is on mission and one is on the parables of the kingdom. And uh, there are these discourses, and it turns out that what Matthew is saying is that um, this whole gospel, he ends the gospel by saying, um, teach people to obey all I have commanded. That's how the gospel ends. And then it turns out that the gospel that Matthew's given us has five t- sermons in it from Jesus. In the gospel of Matthew, those are the things. Matthew is a curriculum on making disciples. And, um, and so we're going to be looking at two more of those. But um, I think it's helpful for us, this passage that we're looking at today is a helpful introduction into this project of learning to obey, what Jesus, the, the, obey Jesus' commandments by looking at a passage that is about obedience, it's about obeying Christ. Now, I think for most people, uh, that word, obedience, doesn't uh, necessarily thrill you. It's not, you know, it's not the thing that produces joy and excitement and I'm thankful that I'm a Christian. The things, you know, it's usually we talk about grace and uh, God's kindness and his forgiveness to us. But obedience, for many of us, stirs up ideas of, of burdens, uh, commandments. God's telling me all the things I'm not doing well enough. And um, heaviness. A list of, of things to do. But um, the reality is uh, that we have only one command in this passage. This, com- this passage is about uh, obedience. It has one command in it. It's a command t- where Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And that what he's saying is that essentially all obedience in the Christian life, all obedience to God, is essentially... Doing that one command, a willingness to follow Jesus, to share in his life, to be with him, and to have his life begin to shape our life. And so it's being with him. And actually, I think when we think of obedience that way, that obedience is not a list of things to do, but it is responding to the call of Jesus to follow him, it actually does have a thrill to it. I'm gonna be with him, I'm gonna follow him, I'm gonna share in his life. And so, um, which, you know, this is an important thing. Obedience is an important thing because. Obedience to Christ in our culture, because our culture does not tell you that you should, you know, obey anyone. The Bible says, or our culture says you should follow your heart, obey your heart, obey, you know, what you want to say. Don't listen to anyone else. Don't be subservient to anyone else. And the Bible tells us that freedom, joy, love, life comes from a life of obedience, which is totally counterintuitive to us. So this morning, um, I want to look at these few verses and really um, answer two questions about what it means to obey Christ. Two questions. First is this. Why don't we obey Christ? Why, what keeps us? Why is obedience to Christ so hard? And oh, you know, what's the inner heart reality that's happening? Because you know? for most of us, we want to obey Jesus. And yet, it just doesn't happen. So I, I'm not going to hit all the reasons of why. But we're going to look at some of those reasons that Jesus shows us. So first, why we, don't we obey? And second... How can we then learn an obedient life? How can we learn an obedient life? Why don't we obey, and how do we, can we then learn an obedient life? So, first question is this. Why don't we obey? Now, one of the things I love about this passage I just read, this passage has two guys who come to Jesus who want to be his disciples. They say, I want to follow you. And... Um, Jesus challenges both of them. He's suspicious about both of their intentions. And yet, in both cases, you know, the first guy comes and he says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you, wherever you go. And Jesus says, Son of man has, uh, the fo- foxes have uh, holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And then what happens with the guy? We don't know. We don't know. Did he. Did he go with Jesus to, to not have a place to lay his head, or did he go home? What did he do? The second guy says, I need to go bury my father first. And then Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. And then what does he do? We don't know. And uh, the reason for that is because Matthew is pressing these verses to us to have us ask, okay, what would I do? What is my response to these questions? And um, in Jesus' challenges to these two men, we see uh, we learn about two things that keep us from obeying Christ. A false view of Jesus and a false view of life. A false view of Jesus and a false view of life. Now, um, first, a false view of Jesus keeps us from obeying. And uh, you see this very subtly in the first man that comes to Jesus. Look at that there in verse 19. And a scribe came up to him and uh, and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now this sounds like Wow, that's quite a pledge. That's the kind of thing Jesus wants to hear from a disciple. I'll follow you wherever you go. And um, and yet Jesus senses that the man's loyalty is not as complete as he's making out to be. And, you know, the clue to that is in the title that he uses for Jesus. What does he call Jesus? Teacher. And actually, if you look through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, whenever someone comes and they call Jesus a teacher... Uh, they're never actually really a disciple. It's usually like a Pharisee who's trying to trick Jesus into something. He's a good teacher. And it's a kind of perfunctory title that shows the heart that says, listen, I'm going to pretend that I'm behind you, and um, you know, I'll acknowledge that you're a good teacher, but I'm not yet willing to call you my Lord. And um, it gives an indication to the heart that this man has a false view of who Jesus is. He thinks he's a good teacher, but he doesn't think he is the Lord. And let me just tell you, Jesus' answer to this man is fascinating. Uh, Verse 20, look at what he says. Jesus is so odd, the things that come out of his mouth. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, uh, that title... Uh, Son of Man was actually a Jesus favorite title for himself and this is the first time that it appears in in the gospel now most of us when we hear that title Son of Man most a lot of times Christians think oh you know Jesus was both God and man right so you know sometimes he's called the Son of God because he's God and sometimes he's called the Son of Man because he's human. And this is the Son of God is kind of this exalted title and the Son of Man is kind of this humble title that he's kind of one of us. You know, he's one of the gays. He's, uh, he's, he's human. He shares in, in, in our life. That's actually not true. Son of Man is actually an extremely exalted title that would be very odd for someone uh, to call themselves. And uh, the title comes from Daniel chapter 7. And this is, what, this is what, Daniel has this vision of heaven and this is what happens in the vision. D- Daniel seven thirteen. I saw... In the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So here's a guy riding on the clouds called the Son of Man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is saying, uh, uh, first of all, you know, when you come to me and call me teacher, I'm the son of man. The one to whom all the peoples of the earth are going to serve and and I'm going to have dominion over the nations of the earth. And then he, but this is what he says. He says, but by the way, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I don't, I'm homeless, (laughs) I'm, okay, I'm the homeless guy who all the rulers of, uh, all the peoples of the earth are going to uh, come and serve. So, you know, you just picture the guy, behind, you know, he's in the woods behind Fred Meyer and he's with his crew and he says, attention, attention. Uh, just, I know it doesn't look like I got a lot going on right now, but I, all the nations of the earth have been given to me. I will have an eternal kingdom and you should all pledge your eternal allegiance to me. What do we say about that person? Homeless people who think they're the king of the world are crazy, are crazy. You would not say to a homeless person who thinks they're the king of the world, oh, good teacher, you have wise, you are a sage who has helpful things to tell me about my life. You'd say, uh, you you know, this person needs help. Maybe let's keep the children away from them. Um, Jesus is putting a puzzle before this man. This contrast of son of man and a homeless man together is so odd. And G.K. Chesterton, I put a quote for you on page 3 of your bulletin, and G.K. Chesterton comments on this, these claims that Jesus makes. And actually, this paragraph from The Everlasting Man is a paragraph that was, was instrumental in the conversion of C.S. Lewis. And this is what Chesterton says. It is possible to find here and there human beings who make this supreme superhuman claim. It is, you know, this claim that they're God, or that I'm the king of the world. It is possible to find them in lunatic asylums, in padded cells, possibly in straitjackets. But this is exactly where the argument becomes intensely interesting. For nobody supposes that Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was that sort of person. No modern critic, in his five wits, thinks that the preacher of the Sermon on the Mount was a horrible, half-witted imbecile that might be scrawling stars on the walls of a cell. No atheist or blasphemer believes that the author of the parable of the prodigal son was a monster with one mad eye, like a cyclops with one uh, with one mad idea, like a cyclops with one eye. Upon a, upon any possible historical criticism, he must be put higher in the human scale, uh, in the scale of human beings than that. Yet by all analogy, we have really to put him either there or else in the highest place of all so what Chester is, is saying is that we must either dismiss Jesus as mentally ill, and you should not listen to a word that he says, or you have to take him deadly seriously when he says, all the nations belong to me, and I am God incarnate. And uh, he will not simply let us call him teacher, good teacher. And so let me just say, you know, it, that, that maybe, you know, I know that most of you are Christians, and believe that Jesus is more than a good teacher. But if you're here and you say, you know, that's I'm interested in Jesus. I, I think he's a good teacher. I think he has helpful things to say to my life. Um, you just need to understand that you have not faced the, uh, the reality of his claims about himself. And this is something totally unique of, of, among, uh, of Jesus compared to the other religious leaders of the world. Buddha, um, Muhammad, Confucius, name any religious leader that is respected in the world, if any of them said, I want the allegiance and the obedience of, of all the nations of the world, and I am God, become a man, uh, they would have said, you're crazy, don't call me that. You can worship God, you can follow my way, you can follow my teachings, but don't, don't worship me. Jesus took that worship. And um, now the question is, why would this guy come and call him just teacher? Why would he call him just a teacher? Why would we want Jesus to just be a good teacher who has helpful things to say to us? When Jesus is simply a teacher, we remain in control. He has helpful tidbits. I'll take a bit here. That was, oh, you know, don't be anxious about tomorrow. That's helpful. You know, I'm struggling with anxiety. I'll take that little bit of wisdom. Love your neighbor as yourself. That, makes, that gives me warm feelings. I'll, I'll hold on to that. But if he is Lord, he demands my allegiance and my obedience. And so one of the reasons that we don't uh, obey Christ, we don't follow him, is because we, we have a false view of who he is. We haven't acknowledged who he is. And, you know, one of the things about this guy, who it says that, that he was a scribe. And, um, you know, he's probably, I imagine he's a young guy right at a seminary. You know, he knows his Bible well. He's, he has a lot of theological training. He has a lot to offer. And he's looking at Jesus. Jesus got his disciples. They're all fishermen. And he's thinking, you know... He, he doesn't have a seminary grad on his team yet. I'm like, first round draft pick. I, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Obviously, you, I, I, there's a spot for me on your team. But the reality is we don't begin to obey Jesus until we realize that we cannot manage our own life. It is with that pride that uh, Jesus is a teacher. I can help him. I'll take. And when I'm remaining in control, I can control my whole, own life, and Jesus can help me. We are not going to give him our obedience and our allegiance. And uh, it is when we come to our weakness and we say, Jesus, you are Lord. Show me how to live. Show me how to live. I don't know how to. I don't know how to, my life works. I don't know how to live. I don't know how to do relationships. I don't know how to worship you. I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand my own heart. Then we come and we say, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you say, because I don't know how to live my own life. Isaiah 57, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Okay. So the biggest thing that keeps us from a spirit of obedience to Christ is, first of all, we have a false view of who he is, and we don't re- realize his claims that he makes about himself. But the second thing is that we can also have a false view of life of how life works, how our life is going to work, how a Christian life works in general. And you see that in this second man who comes to Jesus, verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, for a long time I read this, and I, I kind of sympathized with the guy. And I was like, man, the guy's dad just died, and he wants to have a funeral. And Jesus, no funerals, no slideshows, no, slide no memorials, nothing. You leave right now, right? And you're like, man, that's brutal. And why so hard? Why can't he just go have the funeral? It's like, you know, wait a couple of days, and he'll come back, and he'll follow you. But it came, I realized later that the father's probably not dead. The father's not dead yet. And what he's saying is, listen. Jesus, I, we got a family business. My dad really wants, he's got dreams of me running the farm. And I really want to fulfill their kind of plans that they have for me. Let me finish that off. I'll bury my father. I'll get that part of my life done. And then I'm going to come follow you. And, uh, and Jesus uh, said, demands, he says, your allegiance to me must be above even your own family. Now, we know from other parts uh, of Matthew, actually, that Jesus challenges uh, other people, like the Pharisees, and says, listen, you need to keep the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. Jesus wants us to honor our mothers and fathers. He, he upholds that commandment. But um, the key word in this verse here is when the man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. The thing that takes precedent, what is the first matter in his life? What is the matter of first urgency? What takes the first place in his priorities? And uh, for many of us, we have things in our life that take first priority. They are urgent. No matter what, they get first attention. They are the priorities in our life. What are those things? What are those things in your life? You know, I'm in school. I'm studying. I got to get this degree. It's, it's really important for my career, and it's really busy right now. I've got a lot of homework, and I know that when I get out of school and I become adult and I become a member of a church, then you know I'll really take my following Jesus seriously. But right now, I just got to do this first. Or maybe it's uh, maybe it's you're in a relationship. I need to I need to get this relationship. I need to get married and to have a family. And I, once that's all kind of sorted out, then I'm going to follow Jesus. Maybe it's a career. I need, I need to provide for my family. I need to get my career on track. And that's, that's where my time, that's where my energy, that's where the first priority goes. And what can happen is through a whole life, we can have one thing after another that says, let me handle this first. This is the matter of first urgency. And Jesus is saying, if we are going to obey him, the reason why we don't obey him is because other things have taken that role of first things. Um, And they keep us from asking, what is the will of Jesus Christ for my life? First things will keep you from asking that question, what is the will of Jesus Christ for my life? And um, so let me ask you that. What are your first things? What are the things that, uh, being a, a part of, of this community, that are, are, are crowding out, you being a part of, of God's people, building relationships, growing um, that say, i got to do this. And do you find that they keep putting off your obedience and your allegiance to Christ? And some of you might say, wow, yeah, I see those things, but I can't imagine letting go of them as first things. They, they would, uh, they're so big, and I'm so locked into them, and I have commitments. How, how can I let go of them as first things in my life? Uh, you know, that's, that seems so demanding, so rigorous. Well, the answer is this. Whenever we have first things in our life, what you might call idols, false gods, things that have taken the place of God, the response to idols is simply to repent. You acknowledge to God and say, God, I have made this a first thing in my life. And the promise of the Old Testament, God says he wants to wash us of our idols, and he will wash you. And you tell him and you confess to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And you are first. And some of you, uh, that's something you haven't done. You realize that there's a first thing. Go and face Jesus and tell, him. just acknowledge it to him. You confess, you turn away from it, and embrace his grace that he'll forgive you. He's glad to forgive you. He's died for all of your sin, and he'll wash them away and give you a new heart and say, Jesus, teach me. And so let me just invite all of us to repent of our first things and say, Christ, the will of Christ in my life is supreme and nothing else will take that central role, okay? So once we've done that, and we've asked, um, why, why don't we obey? Because we have a false view of Jesus, and we have a false view of life. That these other first things, once they're out of the way, then I can follow Jesus. We come to the second question. How can we then learn an obedient life? How can we then learn an obedient life? And I want to say two things, that we must know our, you must know yourself, We must know ourselves, and we must know Christ. We must know ourselves and know Christ. So first of all, we need to know ourselves. I think an important part of of living obedient is we need to have some self-awareness of, you know, what's happening inside of me, you know. And and there's a little of that going on here. You know, these two men who come to Jesus, they're very different temperaments, right? Um, Dale Bruner, who's a great commentary on, on, uh, uh, he's written a great commentary on Matthew, uh, describes the first man as, as hasty. He's the hasty man who says, Jesus, I, w- I will follow you wherever you go. He's just making these uh, grand claims that he's going to go with Jesus no whoever he wants. And, and the other guy said, is, is, the first guy's hasty, the second guy is hesitant. And he says, let me just go first bury my father. i got a few things to take care of, and then I really, I really want to follow you. I'll do it. But he's hesitant, right? And so the question for us is, which are we? Are we hasty? Are you hasty or Are you hesitant? And um, you know, to be hasty is that we can have a tendency to be sprinters in the Christian life, that we get very zealous and excited about certain things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible, and we sit down and we try to read through the whole New Testament in a sitting. I'm, I'm gonna devour the Bible, and and then you know that happens for a week, and then you're tired and you're worn out, and um, and the reality is that. You know, there's this hastiness. Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, listen, you've got to stop and think about what, what I'm calling you to. To follow me, I'm a homeless guy. And you're, that means you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. There's going to be loss in your life. You need to think about it. And so the Christian life is not a sprint. It's actually, it's walking. That's continually how the Bible talks about life with God. It is, is, it is walking. And um, I've been reading uh, over my vacation. I, I've been on vacation last couple of weeks and uh, which, by the way, I just want to thank the congregation for. It, it was very, uh, it was great as a family to, to recharge and to have a couple of weeks off from preaching and, and thankful for, for Daniel to, uh, to open God's word to you. And um, over that time, uh, I, you know, also gave me time just to read and, and uh, you know, reflect on, on my own soul. And, and uh, one of the books I was reading was a book by Tim Keller, which is uh, his new book on suffering. It's called Walking with God. Through Pain and Suffering, which is, excellent, which is an excellent read if, uh, if, if you're looking for a book to read. But um, in that title, he, he says, uh, it, it, he, his book is Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He has a chapter on walking and the importance of walking and not sprinting or running in the Christian life. And, and he summarizes it in one paragraph. This is what he says. Walking is something non-dramatic, rhythmic. It consists of steady, repeated actions you can keep up in a sustained way for a long time. A walk is day in and day out praying, day in and day out Bible and Psalms reading, day in and day out obeying, talking to Christian friends, and going to corporate worship, committing yourself to and fully participating in the life of the church. It is rhythmic, on and on and on. To walk with God is a metaphor that symbolizes slow and steady progress. And one of the things that he says is that what Jesus is saying to this man is you're going to have suffering in your Christian life. If you follow Jesus, you're going to experience suffering and you cannot sprint through suffering. You have to walk methodically through it. And you need to have this pace and you need to have this rhythm in your life. And so if that's, if that's us, how do, we, how do we learn to obey Christ? It's not a sprint. It's measured, careful means of grace that God has put into our life, worshiping together, studying God's word, being in a home group, being with God's people that, they, that know me, learning to pray, Methodically, but not being overly zealous. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just tell you that that's, that's a helpful thing for me. I know that's not, you know, I'm a hasty kind of person. I have new ideas all the time, things I want to do, and I get excited. And, uh, and one of the best things that God's brought into my life is I got to write a sermon every week. It's the same thing every week. I open a passage, and I got to write a sermon. And, and, you know what? I got, what, I don't know, 30, 40 years ahead of me of, uh, of just week in and week out walking. And and that's been a great discipline for me to just slow down and say this is this is how God's going to work in my own life. And so we need those rhythms of walking and not being hasty. Okay. Now, but for some of you, you're not hasty. You say I'm more the hesitant person. Okay. I'm. uh, You you never uh, take a plunge of obedience and say Jesus is calling me to do this and I I need to do it. Um, uh, And for you, I would say that. you have to be aware, in terms of being knowing yourself and being self-aware, you have to be aware when Jesus is setting before you decision. Make a decision. Make a commitment. Resolve to do something. You have to be aware when that's happening, and then, and then pray to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do this. And um, Because what you see with the first man that comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, okay, hold on. You need to think about what's going on. The son of man has nowhere. fox have holes, and the birds of the air... Have nests, but son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm homeless. Think about what you're involving. I want you to come and follow me, but you got to think about it. The other guy though comes and says, "Hey, listen, I got to go first bury my father." And Jesus says, "No, it is decision time. Follow me. Are you willing to follow me? Are you resolved to leave everything and follow me? I'm setting that before you right now." And and you know, Jesus' phrase there, "Let the dead leave the dead to bury their own dead." I mean, amazing statement. He's saying that all the people of the world who are not following him are dead. Their life is dead. It's, it's meaningless. It, I mean, those are Jesus' words, not my words. That's what he says. That if you don't know life in him, then you're spiritually dead. And he says, they're all dead. Come and follow me. There's an urgency. Make a decision. And, uh, and let me just say, that, that may be you. Um, you, may, you may have something you know God is calling you to, commanding you to do. It, it, you know That could be um, something in your life that God is calling you to face and to work on. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe there's aspects in your marriage you're saying, I know things aren't how they're supposed to be. I know I need to bring people in into my marriage. We need help. That needs some decision. And it's kind of, there's this head incident, oh, it'll get better. I'll, I'll fix it then. And it, that point of decision is now. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Are you going to follow me? Or, 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 there, or maybe there's a sin to confess. Or, or maybe, it's, it, maybe it's your involvement in, the, in, in a church. And to say, you know, I, I love this church. I'm be- beginning to build relationships or I'm growing. And there's time to say, you know, I've been thinking about a home group. I hear about it every week. I know that would be good for me to be with other Christians. It doesn't sound like a burden, but I'm just, I'm not quite ready yet. Jesus is saying, follow me. It's a point of decision. You have to be self-aware that I tend to be hesitant, and when the point of decision comes, I need to act, I need to make a decision. What is that in your life? Okay? So, in order to live an obedient life, we need to understand, we need to know ourselves, that are we hasty or are we hesitant. But the most important thing, this last thing, is not, it's not so much priority that we know ourselves, but it's m- far more important that we know Christ. That we know Christ. How do we live an obedient life? as we know Him, and you know, because in this passage, there's you know, there's some simple, practical advice on obedience, but there's also this radical side to Jesus. Let the dead bury their own dead, and follow me. There's a radical obedience that He is calling us to, and um, you know, one of the things I actually love about Jesus. He, the first guy comes to Him, you know, He's the young scribe just out of seminary, and He's like. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, this guy, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he's so excited. And you know, Jesus doesn't say, no, you won't. You're just young and zealous and uh, no, you won't do that. No, he says, listen, all right, do you know, you know what you're getting, signing up for? And you know, actually a, a, an important moment in my, in my life uh, when I was in seminary, uh, there, we have these chapels a couple times a week and there was a visiting uh, a professor who was giving a chapel talk. His name's Dan Allender. He's a at a school in Seattle, and he gave a, a, a talk on another passage uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark, where uh, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, come to him. They're the youngest guys of his disciples, and they come and say, "Jesus, we decided we want to sit at your left hand and in your right in the kingdom of heaven. We we want those spots." And uh, and Jesus says to them, and he does the same thing. He doesn't say no. Stop asking for, you know, stop being so zealous. He doesn't say that. He says, are, do you know what you're asking for? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm able to be baptized with? Um, are, are you willing to suffer, basically? And it actually was a great encouragement to me because, you know, I was a young uh, seminarian. I wanted to plant a church, and I wanted, you know, I want to be a pastor. And Jesus doesn't say, you young fool, to our zeal. Um, But he says, listen, you're going to suffer. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. And the only way you can suffer is if you are with me, if you know me. And one of the things uh, that I love about uh, this passage is that Jesus promised to both these men, when he calls them to follow him, is that they will get to be with him. Right? When he says, the man says, I'll go with you wherever, Jesus Jesus says, yeah, you'll be with me. But I'll tell you where I am. I'm homeless. And you're going to hurt and you're going to suffer, but you'll be with me. And that will make your suffering bearable because you'll be with me. And the second man says, I, I need to leave my father. And Jesus says, uh, you know, the first man, he says, listen, you're going to be homeless. In me, you'll find a home. The second man says, I, ne- I need to go bury my father. He says, listen, leave your father with me. You'll find an eternal father. You will have a father. And, um, and I will give you a father who loves you and provides for you and cares for you. And so obedience is ultimately about life with Christ. It is about a relationship, walking and going where he is and being with him. Um, And one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that there is nothing Jesus asked me to do for him that he hasn't first done for me. There is nothing Jesus asked me to do for him that he hasn't first done for me. When Jesus asked this man to be homeless, Jesus was homeless for him first. Uh, When Jesus asked this man to leave his father, Jesus has already left his father for him, to to serve him and to give his life for him. Um, (laughs) Jesus has lived the life that we should live. And this is an important thing that we need to recognize as we approach the question of obedience. Because for most of us, the reason obedience has this burden on us is because we think what the word obedience means is that if I obey, then God will love me. God has these things that I need to do, and if I, if I do everything on the list and I do them, then God will love me. But the reality is that is what religion is. Religion is saying, do all these things. God loves good people. God loves obedient people. But what the gospel says over and over again is that Christ has already lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. He's already made me right with God. And so God loved me first, and therefore I want to obey. Religion says, if I obey, then God will love me. The gospel says, God loved me first, therefore I want to obey. These are radically different views of, of, of walking with God and views of obedience. And so uh, what God is calling us to is to know Christ, to know the radical love of Christ, that he was homeless, that he uh, left his father, so that in him we might find a home and that we might find a father. And so uh, we come to him and we ask him and we repent of our first things and say, Jesus, we want to live with you and walk with you. And he calls us all into that life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge um, how radical this call is to acknowledge you as the Son of Man, The one to whom uh, all the nations, all the peoples, all the tongues will come and serve and exalt your name. That you have an eternal kingdom. Teach us, uh, give us your spirit that we might respond to your call to follow you. And we thank you that all that you ask of us, you have already done for us. So that we don't have to prove ourselves to God, but that we might um, be in awe of your love. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.